Mrs. French's cat is missing. The signs are posted all over town. Have you seen Honey? We've all seen the posters, but nobody has seen Honey the cat. Nobody. Until last Thursday morning, when Miss Colette Pachine swerved her car to miss Honey the cat as she drove across a bridge. Well, this bridge, now slightly damaged, is a bit of a local treasure and even has its own fancy name, Pont de Flock. Now, Colette, that sounds like culotte. That's panty in French. And Pachine, that means pool. Panty pool. Flock also means pool in French. So Colette Pachine in French panty pool drives over the Pont de Flock, the Pont de Pool, if you will, to avoid hitting Mrs. French's cat that's been missing in panty pool. Panty pool. Panty pool. Panty pool. Pont de Flock. What does it mean? Well, Norman Mailer, he had an interesting theory that he used to explain the strange coincidences in the aftermath of the JFK assassination. In the wake of huge events, after them and before them, physical details, they spasm for a moment, they sort of unlock, and when they come back into focus, they suddenly coincide in a weird way. Street names and birth dates and middle names, all kinds of superfluous things appear related to each other. It's a ripple effect. So what does it mean? Well, it means something's going to happen. Something big. But then something's always about to happen. spooky. It's a pretty spooky show. It's pretty spooky. I think it's spooky. Sort of. Kind of. I think it's a, I think it's a good episode. I like the episode. I think it's going to be pretty awesome. If you listen to it and you say, that was kind of cool. I'm, I'm good with that. If you, if you listen to it and you say, that was pretty spooky. That was way spookier than I was expecting. Then I'll be kind of surprised, but I think that's pretty awesome too. Now, if you're just scared shitless, out of your mind, then uh, I don't know. Don't know what I can do for you as far as that goes. But I think it's a pretty cool episode. I think you're going to like it. Now, the intro that you just heard is my attempt at uh, the fantastic monologue that Stephen McHattie does in the 2008 movie Pontypool. Pool. 
And uh, if you haven't seen this movie and you're looking for a spooky movie to watch for Halloween, uh, I would totally recommend this. It's an amazing movie. Uh, I love it. Um, I know that when I tell people about the movie, I feel like I'm overhyping it because I've told people about it before and they go out and they watch it and they're like, eh, it was okay. Or it wasn't scary. That's not a scary movie. Well, yeah, I guess it's not a, it's not really a scary, scary movie, but what movie is scary, scary? Like every time somebody tells me that a movie is really scary, it turns out to not be that scary. It does usually turn out to be thought provoking or uh, it usually turns out to be uh, dark and mysterious and very thrillery, uh, or it uh, turns out to uh, uh, have like lots of jump scares or something like that in it, you know, which I'm not really fond of jump scares. But Pontypool is what I would call atmospheric. Um, it's a very atmospheric film. Uh, it takes place in Ontario, Quebec, and the whole movie takes place in the basement of a church that has been turned into a radio station. So if you just told me that, then I'm sold. Like I want to watch the movie just knowing that one fact. Um, so I like movies that have like small uh, uh, compartmentalized environments, like where there's just, you know, it's just a few actors, a handful of actors and, uh, you know, not an elaborate set piece or anything like that. I think those movies tend to be, um, just better. I think those movies tend to have a better story. They tend to have better acting. Um, everybody just brings it, you know, in that kind of environment, because, uh, what else can you do? You know, it's either going to suck or it's going to be amazing. Um, and there's other movies like that. I don't know if you've seen, uh, if you've seen tape with Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman, one of my favorite movies, great movie. The whole thing takes place in a hotel room. Um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is pretty much like that. It's just a handful of actors, fantastic actors, who are just killing it uh, and not a whole lot of set pieces moving around. There's maybe like two or three different uh, environments and most of it takes place inside of an office room. Uh, Reservoir Dogs would be another one. Quentin Tarantino's awesome movie with the jewel heist that you never actually see the heist. You know, so it's, it's amazing. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones like a low budget. Uh, if you want spooky, spooky movies that take place in kind of uh, small areas like that with not a lot of actors. Um, I am a ghost. I don't know if you've heard this movie before. It's kind of a, it's a horror movie. It's low budget. Uh, it's very spooky. It's very slow. Needs time to build up. Uh, if you're watching it, you may think, ah, oh, this is kind of getting slow. This is kind of getting slow. Hang in there. It's an awesome movie, and it's got a got a really cool original stuff that it starts doing towards the end. Really awesome film. Not a lot of people know about it. I am a ghost. Um, another spooky film, uh, Coherence. If you haven't seen Coherence, uh, it's a really cool sci-fi indie spooky film. Um, another movie, uh, The Man from Earth. Now, The Man from Earth is not really spooky. It's got some spooky elements from it, but it takes place in a log cabin. Uh, the whole thing. It's a, it's almost like a stage play. It might have originally been a stage play. I don't know, but it could easily be one. But it's an amazing movie. I love that movie a lot. Um my dinner with Andre. It's not a spooky movie at all. Not scary in the slightest, but, um, great movie. Nonetheless, just two guys sitting at a table talking, you know? So I think that's uh, pretty awesome for a movie. So getting back to Pontypool now, Pontypool, um, was originally a book, I think named Pontypool changes everything. 
Um, and the movie is actually kind of hard to find on streaming services. Uh, I can't find it on any streaming services right now. But I did find a DVD copy of it on eBay, and I ordered it uh, a few weeks ago, and I've already watched it like four times again. I love the movie. Um, I don't want to overhype it because you may watch it, and you may, and it's it's not for everybody. You know, it's just uh, it's a unique movie. It's um, I will tell you this: I'm not I'm not a spoilers guy. I'm not going to give you spoilers, but it's a zombie flick. But it's a zombie flick like none other that you've ever seen before or heard before. Um, Again, no spoilers or anything, but um, there's just a handful of people in the cast for the most part. um, And there's some really great acting and there's some cool special effects in it occasionally. And uh, but it's just one of those movies that takes place in a small area and really everybody just has to bring it to like make it happen. Uh, And uh, um, and I think they do a great job of it. Stephen McHattie is a fantastic actor. Uh, He needs to have he plays the lead role in this, which is unusual. But he uh, he he does a bang up job, just fantastic. He needs more lead roles. Um, And there's uh, every every actor in it does a great job. Everybody in it does a fantastic job. I just like him and I like what he does in it and what he brings to the role. And it's just really fantastic. But uh, if you like a zombie film with a very different take on the type of zombie or what it means to be a zombie. Uh, I would highly suggest this. Uh, it's a thinking movie. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna make you think. Uh, and uh, there, every time I watch it, uh, I learn something else. I learn something new. I see something different. The movie takes several kind of twists and turns, and uh, really comes out being something cool at the end and original. Um, and I just love it. I think it's a great movie. I think you should go check it out. It's not super scary. You're not going to be super scared by the movie if you watch it. If you are super scared by the movie, then please reach out to me. Uh, let me know. You know, uh, uh, Ping me on Twitter or something. It's uh, double D-T-N-A underscore podcast on Twitter. Uh, yeah, let me know. Let me know if you were really scared by it so that I can make fun of you in the next episode because it's not that scary. But it is spooky. It's very spooky. I think it is a spooky movie. You might be scared by it. I don't know. You might be totally scared by it. So I guess that's enough talking about movies. I mean, I could talk about movies all night. You know, I could spend a whole episode talking about movies. Maybe I'll do that. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. I mean, I'm just wasting time talking about movies. But that's what you're supposed to do on a podcast, right? I got to work on my talking on podcasts. I got to strengthen my voice because I lost my voice last time, remember? So I got to work on that kind of stuff and get better at just talking. So... Now, how do we transition from movies to Edgar Allan Poe? That's what you all came here for, right? Well, don't get too excited, but I think it's pretty freaking awesome. Tonight's, uh, the majority of tonight's content is going to be uh, a telling of The Mask of the Red Death by Edgar Allan Poe. Um, a few months ago, or maybe just a couple of months ago, gosh, I can't even remember, time is like standing still time is like not moving anymore because I'm stuck inside all the time nothing changes but uh we are in a pandemic right of course uh COVID-19 no joke no laughing matter it's some serious shit you know and uh you need to take it seriously you need to try and uh protect yourself and protect your loved ones um well 
you probably heard in national news uh, you know, a couple of months ago about a huge house party that happened in Nashville with uh, some folks. Um, honestly, don't know what they were thinking or what they were doing, but they had a huge house party, had like hundreds of people there. I don't know exactly how many it was, a lot of people. Uh, it made national news. And, uh, and that got me to thinking, uh, wasn't there a story? Wasn't there, a, you know, something about a huge house party during a pandemic uh, and uh, things did not go so well? Uh, and it, you know, I started researching it. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I read this story in high school. It's The Mask of the Red Death by Edgar Allan Poe. So it's an amazing story. Uh, very prescient. Very um, with the times. Getting with it. I really wanted to do something special with this and kind of inject some life into it and uh, uh, add some awesome music to it and some sound effects. And uh, yeah, you're about to listen to the result of that. Uh, So I bring you to tonight's main attraction, Edgar Allan Poe's The Mask of the Red Death. devastated the country. No pestilence had ever been so fatal or so hideous. Blood was its avatar and its seal, the madness and the horror of blood. There were sharp pains and sudden dizziness, and then profuse bleeding at the pores with disillusion. The scarlet stains upon the body, and especially upon the face of the victim, were the pest ban which shut him out from the aid and from the sympathy of his fellow men. But Prince Prospero was happy and dauntless and sagacious. When his dominions were half depopulated, he summoned to his presence a thousand hale and light-hearted friends from among the knights and dames of his court, and with these retired to the deep seclusion of one of his crenellated abbeys. and magnificent structure. The creation of the prince's own eccentric yet august taste. A strong and lofty wall girdled it in. This wall had gates of iron. The courtiers, having entered, brought furnaces and massy hammers and welded the bolts. They resolved to leave means neither of ingress nor egress to the sudden impulses of despair or a frenzy from within. The abbey was amply provisioned. With such precautions, the courtiers might bid defiance to contagion. The external world could take care of itself. In the meantime, it was folly to grieve or to think. The prince had provided all of the appliances of pleasure. There were buffoons. There were improvisatory. 
There were ballet dancers. There were musicians. There was beauty. And there was wine. All these and security were within. Without was the Red Death. It was toward the close of the fifth or sixth month of his seclusion that the Prince Prospero entertained his thousand friends at a masked ball of the most unusual magnificence. It was a voluptuous scene, that masquerade. But first, let me tell of the room in which it was held. There were seven, an imperial suite. In many palaces, however, such suites form a long and straight vista. While the folding doors slide back nearly to the walls on either hand, so that the view of the whole extent is scarcely impeded. Here, the case was very different, as might have been expected from the Duke's love of the bazaar. The apartments were so irregularly disposed that the vision embraced but little more than one at a time. There was a sharp turn at the right and the left, in the middle of each wall, a tall and narrow Gothic window looked out upon a closed corridor, of which pursued the windings of the suite. These windows were of stained glass, whose color varied in accordance with the prevailing hue of the decorations of the chamber into which it opened. That at the eastern extremity was hung, for example, in blue, and vividly blue were its windows. The second chamber was purple in its ornaments and tapestries, and here the panes were purple. The third was green throughout, and so were the casements. The fourth was furnished and lighted with orange, the fifth with white, the sixth with violet. The seventh apartment was closely shrouded in black velvet tapestries that hung all over the ceiling and down the walls, falling in heavy folds upon a carpet of the same material and hue. But in this chamber only, the color of the windows failed to correspond with the decorations. The panes were scarlet, a deep blood color. Now in no one of any of the seven apartments was there any lamp or candle. Amid the profusion of golden ornaments that lay scattered to and fro and depended from the roof. There was no light of any kind emanating from the lamp or candle within the suite of chambers. But in the corridors that followed the suite, there stood opposite each window a heavy tripod bearing a brazier of fire that projected its rays through the tinted glass and so glaringly lit the room. And thus were produced a multitude of gaudy and fantastic appearances. But in the western or back chamber, the effect of the firelight that streamed upon the dark hangings through the blood-tinted panes was ghastly in the extreme, and produced so wild a look upon the countenance of those who entered, that there were few of the company bold enough to set foot within its precincts at all. It was within this apartment also, that there stood against the western wall a gigantic clock of ebony. Its pendulum swung to and fro with a dull, heavy, and monotonous clang. And when the minute hand made the circuit of the face and the hour was to be stricken, 
there came from the brazen lungs of the clock a sound which was clear and loud and deep and exceedingly musical, but of so peculiar a note and emphasis that at each lapse of the hour the musicians of the orchestra were constrained to pause momentarily in their performance to hearken to the sound and thus the waltzers perforce ceased their evolutions and there was a brief disconcert of the whole gay company and while the chimes of the clock yet rang it was observed that the giddiest grew pale and the more aged and sedate passed their hands over their brows as if in confused reverie or meditation but when the echoes had fully ceased a light laughter at once pervaded the assembly the musicians looked at each other and smiled as if at their own nervousness and folly and made whispering vows each to the other that the next chiming of the clock should produce in them no similar emotion and then after the lapse of sixty minutes which embraced three thousand and six hundred seconds of time that flies there came yet another chiming of the clock and then were the same disconcert and tremulousness and meditation as before but in spite of these things it was a gay and magnificent revel the tastes of the duke were peculiar he had a fine eye for color and effects he disregarded the decora of mere fashion his plans were bold and fiery and his conceptions glowed with barbaric luster there are some who would have thought him mad his followers felt that he was not it was necessary to hear and see and touch him to be sure he was not he had directed in great part the movable embellishments of the seven chambers upon occasion of this great feat and it was his own guiding taste which had given character to the masqueraders be sure they were grotesque there was much glare and glitter and piquancy and phantasm much of what has been seen in hernani there were arabesque figures with unsuited limbs and appointments there were delirious fancies such as the madman fashions there were much of the beautiful much of the wanton much of the bizarre something of the terrible and not a little of that which might have excited disgust to and fro in the seven chambers stalked in fact a multitude of dreams and these the dreams writhed in and about taking hue from the rooms and causing the wild music of the orchestra to seem as though the echo of their steps and anon those strikes the ebony clock which stands in the hall of the velvet and then for a moment all is still and all is silent save for the voice of the clock the dreams are stiff frozen as they stand but the echoes of the chime die away they have endured but an instant and a light half subdued laughter floats after them as they depart <laughs> and now the music swells and the dreams live 
and writhe to and fro more merrily than ever, taking hue from the many-tinted windows through which stream the rays of the tripods, but to the chamber which lies most westwardly. Of the seven there are now none of the maskers who venture, for the night is waning away, and there flows a ruddier light through the blood-colored panes, and the blackness of the sable drapery appalls. And to him whose foot falls on the sable carpet, there comes from the near clock of ebony a muffled peal more solemnly emphatic than any which reaches their ears who indulge in the mere remote gaieties of the other apartments. But these other apartments were densely crowded, and in them beat feverishly the heart of life. And the revel went whirlingly on, until at length there commenced the sounding of midnight upon the clock, and then the music ceased, as I have told. But the evolutions of the waltzers were quieted, and there was an uneasy cessation of all things as before. But now there were twelve strokes to be sounded by the bell of the clock, and thus it happened. Perhaps that more of thought crept, with more of time into the meditations of the thoughtful among those who reveled. And thus too it happened, that before the last echoes of the last chime had utterly sunk into silence, there were many individuals in the crowd who had found leisure to become aware of the presence of a masked figure who had arrested the attention of no single individual before, and the rumor of this new presence having spread itself whisperingly around, there arose a length from the whole company a buzz, a murmur of horror and of disgust. In an assembly of phantasms such as I have painted, it may well be supposed that no ordinary experience could have excited such sensation. In truth, the masquerade license of the night was nearly unlimited, but the figure in question had out-Heroded Herod and gone beyond the bounds of even the prince's indefinite decorum. There are chords in the hearts of the most reckless which cannot be touched without emotion. Even with those utterly lost to whom life and death are equally jests, there are matters of which no jest can be made. The whole company, indeed, seemed now deeply to feel that in the costume and bearing of the stranger neither wit nor propriety existed. The figure was tall and gaunt, and shrouded from head to foot in the habiliments of the grave. The mask which concealed the visage was made so nearly to resemble the countenance of a stiffened corpse that the closest scrutiny must have difficulty in detecting the cheat. And yet all this might have been endured, if not approved, by the mad revelers around, but the mummer had gone so far as to assume the type of the Red Death. His vesture was dabbed in blood, and his broad brow, with all the features of his face, was besprinkled with the scarlet horror. When the eyes of Prince Prospero fell on this spectral image, which 
with a slow and solemn movement, as if more fully to sustain its role, stalked to and fro among the waltzers. He was seen to be convulsed, in the first moment with a strong shudder, either of terror or of distaste, but in the next his brow reddened with rage. Who dares, he demanded, hoarsely of the courtiers who stood near him, who dares insult us with this blasphemous mockery? Seize him and unmask him, so that we may know whom we have to hang at sunrise from the battlements. It was in the eastern or blue chamber in which stood Prince Prospero, as he uttered these words. They rang throughout the seven rooms loudly and clearly, for the prince was a bold and robust man, and the music had become hushed at the waving of his hand. It was in the blue room where stood the prince, with a group of pale courtiers by his side. At first, as he spoke, there were a slight rushing and movement of this group in the direction of the intruder, who at the moment was also near at hand, and now with deliberate and stately step made closer approach to the speaker. But with a certain nameless awe with which the mad assumptions of the mummer had inspired the whole party, there were found none who put forth a hand to seize him, so that unimpeded he passed within a yard of the prince's person, and while the vast assembly, as with one impulse, shrank from the centers of the rooms to the walls, he made his way uninterruptedly but with the same solemn and measured step which had distinguished him from the first, through the blue chamber, to the purple, to the purple and then to the green, through the green to the orange, through this again to the white, and even thence to the violet, ere a decided movement had been made to arrest him. It was then, however, that the Prince Prospero, maddened with rage and the shame of his own momentary cowardice, rushed hurriedly through the six chambers, while none followed him on account of a deadly terror that had seized upon all. He had bore aloft a drawn dagger and had approached in rapid impetuosity to within three or four feet of the retreating figure when the latter, having attained the extremity of the violet apartment, turned suddenly and confronted his pursuer. There was a sharp cry, and the dagger dropped, gleaming upon the sable carpet, upon which, most instantly afterward, fell prostrate in death the Prince Prospero. Then, summoning the wild courage of despair, a throng of the revelers at once threw themselves into the black apartment, and seizing the mummer, whose tall figure stood erect and motionless within the shadow of the ebony clock, gasped in unutterable horror at finding the grave cerements and corpse-like mask which they handled with so violent a rudeness, untenanted by any tangible form. And now was acknowledged the presence of 
the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night, and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of their revel, and died, each in the despairing posture of his fall. And the life of the ebony clock went out with that of the last of the gay revelers, and the flames of the tripods expired, and darkness and decay and the red death held illimitable domain over all. Halloween episode. I hope you liked it. I hope you thought it was spooky. I hope you thought it was just fun. I just hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, please reach out somewhere on social media or uh, you'll find most of my links at uh, uh, my website. It's DDTNA, double DTNA, stands for Day Drinking the Night Away, dot com. And uh, you can subscribe there if you want to, if you want to uh, listen to some more stuff. You can subscribe. Uh, I'm I'm on just about everything. I'm on oh I'm on everything. Trust me. Um, yeah, I'm on uh, Spotify. I'm on the Apple thing. I'm on other sorts of apps. I'm on the Google. Uh, so yeah, just uh, look for it and uh, subscribe if you like. You know, send me a tweet. Uh, do something. Uh, go out and have fun. Enjoy Halloween. Uh, stay safe. Stay away from the COVID. Uh, get out and vote. I mean. Uh, you've heard of this voting thing, right? Uh, everybody's talking about it lately, so you need to do that. That's super important. Uh, anyways, stay safe, have fun, and I'll see you back here next time. <laughs>